now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Home Show. I'm Tony Joe, your host here every week, bringing you tips, education, and updates on home-related matters. Whether you're in the real estate market or if you're looking for decorating or improvement ideas for your home or anything else, this is a great place to be. Our show comes to you with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellers, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Silhouette Home Inspections with Pierre Beauvais. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. I've always enjoyed being your host here every week. It's been four years now. I've been selling real estate here in Greater Victoria for 30 years. I've handled hundreds of transactions here in our fair city. I'm proud to be ranked as one of the top producing REMAX agents in Western Canada. I'd be pleased to help you as well too. You can find me and the rest of our whole Home Show team members on the cfax1070.com website, uh, or you can Google any of us. We would be happy to help you. Uh, today, I have show uh, sponsors and supporters, Gurpreet Randawa from the Sitka Law Group and Denise Webster from Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group. We're talking about a lot of stuff today. And you know what? Instead of our usual conversation that we have on our first segment, we're going to dive right into it because I'm afraid we don't have enough time to cover all of the juicy stuff we want to talk about. So Gurpreet, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Tony. Very busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about that. And Denise, uh, you too. I can say ditto. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, you know, I I miss having you guys on together like this. It's it's been a while because you know we've been recording programs, of course, under the pandemic. It's yeah. harder to, get, to schedule things because everyone's busy. Uh, so, man, it is great to have you guys both on today. Good to Thanks see you. Yeah, always, always. Okay, so let's start with busyness. Uh, before the uh, we started here, before I hit record, Denise, you made a comment about closings in the month of April 2021. Uh, tell the listeners what you said. Well, it was just kind of an overall consensus. Any law, law office that I was talking to, um, I actually didn't dare call any lawyers or solicitors last week. I didn't want to bother anybody. Um, but it was office after office just saying the most closings they'd ever seen on April 30th. And it was across the board. Any office I talked to prior to that, um, even in uh, the interior, it was it was in BC. Uh, do you concur, Gurpreet? I concur. And I actually spoke to a couple of lawyers on the other side of files, and they were also saying this is the busiest it's ever been. We've had to cut off um, the number of deals we can take. Um, so I, I concur. Absolutely. Well, and uh, the other thing that doesn't help was uh, it was a Friday, right? Yeah. So yeah, whenever it's end of month, it's Friday. Uh, it's crazy time. Plus what taxes, we're taxes oh, were due. Yeah. Like, it was anything and everything it felt like. Yeah, but we survived. Yeah. We survived. <laughs> yeah. We're here. Yes. Hey, you know what? The other thing, too, as we're on this topic right now, too, um, it's important for people to know that even though uh, April 30th was a heavy closing date, let's remember that all of those sales took place a month or two ago. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, when somebody makes an offer, they remove, remove conditions if they had conditions uh, and they don't move in right away. It's, it's usually a month, uh, two months. I had one that closed on the 30th that was, uh, well, it was February. So it was a number of months, right? So basically what happens when we're seeing an August 30 busy day, uh, that's a result of uh, months before. Now, 
April 2021 was also a busy sales month. So in a couple of months, we're going to see this again, right? We could say the same thing at the end of May. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's just talk really quickly about the state of things and how you're finding things. Denise, uh, you are generally at the forefront because when people start thinking about real estate, you're often the first person they call, even before me, because they want to get an idea of their, their, their financial picture, right? Hopefully. Yeah. I, I'd like to be the first one just to set some realistic expectations. You really don't want somebody just contacting you and willy nilly looking at properties that are out of their range or Little did they know they could have afforded the house they really wanted. So yeah, it should start here, get a really good firm pre-approval. Um, I rather call them pre-qualifications because I'm pre-approving, I'm pre-qualifying the buyers. At the end of the day, the full approval is when we actually have the accepted contract and the lenders can also approve the property that is being purchased. So it's a good way to really remind clients when I say you're pre-qualified, approval means we've got the actual property in sight as well. Yeah. Uh, question for you, of all of the people that come to see you and ask to be you know, pre-qualified or pre-approved, um, can you tell us roughly what kind of percentage might uh, be the result of people not being able to afford to get in or maybe not being able to get what they have in mind? Like, is it a large number or? or... Um, yeah, I, I do. I'm, I'm maybe going to just hedge maybe 50% right now. It's just they're not actually qualifying for what they really want. Oh. Um, and, and they, well, that's not to say they're qualifying right at the mark of what they want, but because of this market, they cannot get it because if they are pre-qualified for a purchase price of around 800, that's their max. And if they start looking at those houses in the 800 range, they're not going for 800 they're because they're selling for 900. Yeah. So I feel like we get there, we get to the point of where they feel they're, they they've been pre-qualified for what they want, but they cannot find it. They cannot get it. Um, and that's where the expectations have to change. And I have seen the shift of the detached home. Okay. No, we're going to look at townhouses. Oh no, we're actually going to look at condos. It, the shift is happening. Yeah. Because people have to adjust their, their, um, they have to adjust what they're, what they're looking for. Yeah. And, and it is, it's, it, I, I'll tell you from the agent standpoint, it is, it's unfortunate because, you know, people are so excited about that home. They really, they have their view on their first home mm -hmm. and, and they end up having to, to claw back and go to the detached home or the duplex or the townhouse or, or whatever. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they, they seem pretty happy to, to get in and have a place. Absolutely. Uh, I'm also seeing that shift of the, the people that maybe I, I say lucky enough, lucky enough that they actually have been approved to work from their home office. And so now when they can't find exactly what they want, they are able to move a little bit on the outskirts. Um, I've actually had people consider nope, that, you know, unfortunately the island is not affordable for us. We're going to look at the interior. We are able to, we're going further up island. Um, that's, that breaks my heart a little bit. You know, if you're here born and raised, not a lot of us, but, and you really wanted to settle here and you've been pushed out of the market. It's, it is sad to see some of those locals that just cannot stay here. Yeah. But that's happening. It, but you know, it's interesting because we've been doing a lot more trips to <clears throat> Souk, Seanigan, 
uh, Mill Bay, Cobble Hill recently, um, yeah. we were really seeing that that those are now the the suburban areas of Greater Victoria, right? Yeah, and our lenders are going to have to adjust. Those used to be considered some areas that you know a handful of lenders won't lend in. You know, there's a few pockets on the island that they said no, those aren't marketable areas or whatnot. That has to change, and it is. We're seeing that shift because there, it's not a commute anymore. This this is our Greater Victoria is now much further up the island i you know i have i'll never forget i was chatting i had actually eric charman on uh our show many years ago of course uh, eric was a long time past president of the real estate board uh local philanthropist uh passed away uh last year unfortunately um but on that topic you just mentioned uh, he used to say that in the 30s or the 40s victoria was on that list in canada where where lenders would say, "Well, it's Victoria. It's a you know, it's an outpost. Nobody." Uh, and that's where we were back then. And wow, I wonder if they wondered if we had year-round um, ferry service. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Gerfried, uh, and and for you now, of course, you're seeing people at the table signing documents on closing. Been crazy, huh? It's been very crazy, and it's been um, somewhat of a challenge balancing the number of appointments with COVID. Um, provincial health restrictions and the number of people we can have in the office at any given time, um, booking appointments that are spread out. Um, and, and remember, for the most part, we still have to see people in person. And, and many clients are shocked by that because they sign their contract of purchase and sale by DocuSign, they often sign their mortgage documents electronically. And then when they, when they get to, to my stage in the process, they're surprised that they have to come in and see me. And that is still, um, that is still the case. You have to come in to see your lawyer or notary in person to sign all documents, unless you do have COVID or you've um, been exposed to somebody who has COVID, then the Law Society has established a very narrow exception um, to remote signing in those circumstances. And even in those circumstances, you still have to physically print your documents and I have to watch you sign them by Zoom. They have to be scanned and emailed back to me. So it is a process. But yeah. um, it's working, right? Absolutely, and, yeah. And you guys are probably going through cases of pens because I know it's, <laughs> it's everyone's <laughs> got to have their fresh pen, right? Exactly, encouraging clients to take their pen with yeah. them. <laughs> I love it. That's important to note because we, we see that from some lenders and the, the line is, it must be ink signed. They There's some documents that lenders want to see have ink has touched the paper actually yeah. amazing well listen guys need to take our first break here we're having a chat with our show sponsors denise webster from dominion lending centers bonder mortgage group and gapreet randawa from the sick law group uh we'll be back in just a moment you're listening to the whole home show with tony joe on cfax 1070 Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're having a conversation today with our show sponsors and supporters, Denise Webster, uh, Intrepid Mortgage Broker, and Gurpreet Randawa, our resident lawyer and legal specialist. Uh, thanks, guys, for coming again. Thanks, Tony. We were talking about uh, uh, COVID just before we uh, stopped at the break there about the things that you need to do, Capreet, uh, including signing. Yeah, it is kind of strange because buyers or clients are used to signing the documents electronically with a realtor using an electronic program. Um, and I remember we, you and I had this conversation at the, at the outset of COVID wondering about how this was going to happen. But I guess it's working. People are coming in, right? 
it's working. People are coming in. Um, we're signing remotely where absolutely necessary. Lawyer still has to satisfy themselves um, that they're able to verify the client's identity remotely. Um, so it, it's happening. We're still closing deals. Remember, we're in essential service. Um, so we have to complete transactions. Um, but, uh, and I, it's been busier than ever, even during a pandemic. So, yeah. so, so I'm envisioning right now, you got people lined up and it's like, boom, 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 boom. It's like showing a house where people, you know, every 15 minutes or whatever. Right. But that's probably what you can't do because you can't have your waiting room overflowed no. so that, yeah, you are limited to, I was just, when you mentioned so we're, that, we're working longer hours to be able to get all these clients in for their deals that are closing. Um, you mean if I had to drive by, I, I'm not going to see a lineup around the building there at uh, Shelburne and Cedar Hill Cross? No, <laughs> no, no lineups. Sure. Um, sometimes there's a couple of clients waiting in the, just the lobby area, yeah. um, but we try to stagger appointments. Yeah. So, Well, and getting back to what we said at the very beginning, so March 30th, a busy closing date, like, could it have been one of the Sickle Law Group's uh, record months for closings? Like, how It was one of the busiest months I've experienced, so... Um, yeah. I, I, as Denise mentioned, I concur that um, I think that was the case across the board for, for many law firms mm -hmm. um, managing the number of closings. And I talked to a couple of lawyers up Island as well in Duncan, um, and they were even saying they've had to cut uh, the number of files they can take because it's just so busy. Yeah, now that is something else for both of you guys from the legal side and for the mortgage broker side. I have been hearing uh, from other agents that lawyers and mortgage brokers are having to turn away business or, or not be able to serve people out um, of capacity, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and we want to still be able to provide good service, um, you know, um, and be able to take our time to go through all the documents with clients. And that sometimes involves cutting off the number of deals we can take. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to say no that, you know, some of them are repeat clients and, but if I do take on too much, I can't service what I have. And that will end up, you know, wearing me down even more because you, you beat yourself up a little bit if you've fallen behind and uh, yeah, you, there's a, there's definitely a cutoff point right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it is it is indeed a busy time. Listen, there's a number of topics that I wanted to cover for our listeners uh, today. And uh, I will first preface our listeners by letting them know I haven't prepared you guys. I didn't send you guys a list of this stuff beforehand. Uh, well, I'm just going to hit you up with these. I know you got, you guys know your stuff. But this is fun. This is kind of it's improvising uh, on uh, on CFAX here, right? Um, but things that we've bumped into recently that I think are important to talk about. Now, the first one I want to discuss is when a buyer, you know, uh, say his name is Brian, Brian, right, writes an offer but says, <clears throat> maybe later I'm going to want to put my daughter's name on the contract. Because I haven't figured out at this point here whether or not it's an advantage or, you know, she's a first-time buyer. I want to take advantage or she wants to take advantage of the first-time buyer uh, uh, privileges and all that kind of stuff. This is not an easy, easy process. It's called an assignment. So, Gurpreet, let's start with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the standard contracts of purchase and sale now include wording that provide that an assignment is not uh, permitted without the consent of the seller. So, let's say Joe's entered into this deal um, and he's decided he wants to add his daughter, uh, that's potentially going to be construed as opening up the contract and renegotiating the deal. Um, the, the seller can, can call that an anticipatory breach. Joe, you can't complete, um, which gives rise to damages, potentially forfeiting the deposit, 
um, seller might counter and say, okay, I'll allow you to add your daughter, but I want X dollars more um, because again, you've opened up the contract or the seller may agree. So there are risks associated with it. it it's, it's not an easy change to present. And, and many clients will say, well, I'm just going to, you know, prepare an addendum to add so-and-so to the contract. And anytime that comes to me before it's presented, I do alert them to the fact that that is uh, opening up the contract gives rise to, to many risks for the buyer. And you need to be aware, you know, of the potential ramifications associated. Well, let's talk about why this, this came for a reason. Because before, uh, contracts by definition were assignable, right? Um, but of course, we had this whole shadow flipping thing in Vancouver a few years back mm. where, you know, I'd sell my house to Bob, but on the closing table, the name of, uh, you know, Chelsea is on the contract. And who, what is this? Well, it's because Bob sold the contract to Chelsea for a profit that I didn't benefit from. So uh, the government has said, let's stop uh, this assignment thing. So, um what you also just mentioned, Capri, is an important one. And realtors sometimes forget this too. It's not a simple matter of just having a document saying, oh, we're just going to add the daughter on. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. Be aware of the risks. Um, you know, all communications that may involve a change to the contract should be made on a without prejudice basis. Get advice from your lawyer um, before presenting the change um, to ensure that you're aware of the risks. The, uh, the other thing that's important for any of our uh, listeners, our realtor listeners, because we know there's a lot that listen to this program, it's a reminder, guys, that the notice of assignment uh, to the seller is a separate document for the Real Estate Council. That must be presented at the time of the offer. So you can't add this in afterwards. It, it even says on the form, this was presented at the time of uh, presenting the offer. So you need to know this from the outset. Um, but why would this happen? So, um, Gurpreet, why do people want to add the daughter's name onto the in my, Yeah, in my experience, it comes usually comes down to the financing. Joe can't qualify on his own. Um, he needs his daughter to be added to the contract so that her income is considered as part of the mortgage approval. Um, so that's usually uh, when you see it come up. And then the other um, common time it comes up is if, for example, Joe wants to sign the contract to a company. He plans to um, build a house and sell it. And maybe he's received some tax advice from his accountant that it makes sense, you know, to purchase through a company. So those are usually, in my experience, when um, when these discussions about assigning come up. So for Denise, like, um, because, yeah, often it is a financial thing because uh, mm -hmm. it happens every once in a while where you have to say, hey, listen, guys, uh, we can't make this work. The only way to do it is to add a name, right? Well, yeah, and sometimes, uh, you know, Gurpreet's saying, you know, at the best time is when you're writing the offer to have that condition in there, but quite often the financing, you know, we get surprised. And so we think we have a pretty good, strong applicant and the lender or the mortgage insurer can come back and say, well, we like the file. We'd feel better if there was a co-signer and maybe it's because they have thin credit, a little bit weak credit, or their ratios are really, really tight. And the lender is just looking for a little bit more security. And they say, look, we're happy with the deal. We, we want to approve it. We'd feel better if there was a co-signer. So the contract's already been presented. So this is where we have to go back to the, the, the agent, the real estate agent. And, and definitely we should be involving the lawyer to say, okay, we do need to add an addendum to this contract now to add mom or dad. So from a seller's point of view, it shouldn't be a big alarm bell. Like it really, how is it reaching their contract? It, I mean, it would be a pretty 
unpleasant experience for the seller to just say, well, because you did that, I want more money. And, you know, there's not a, there's no, nothing detrimental to that seller to add a parent. So in most cases, we've never had issues with it at all because it's common sense and it's understandable why it's happening. The seller has no concerns about it, but it is, as Gurpreet says, we are now opening up the contract to add an addendum to add, assign, assign somebody to the contract. And the lenders want to see the names on the contract should match the mortgage, should match the title. For sure. Uh, yeah, there are risks involved as there is with everything. And uh, speaking of risk, uh, we're risking running out of time for this break. So <laughs> we got to take a break right now. We'll be back in just a moment with our show partners and supporters, Denise Webster and Gurpreet Randawa. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, everyone. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to another episode of The Whole Home Show. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellas, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Silhouette Home Inspections with Pierre Beauvais. Just as a reminder, if you need any help or direction in your real estate transaction, feel free to give any of our show supporters here at the Whole Home Show a call. They would love to hear from you. You can find their contact information by visiting cfax1070.com. Look under shows and there you'll find us, the Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. All the contact information is on that page. You can reach out to me directly as people often do and I'm happy to hear from you. Uh, and the other thing too is if you're a podcast listener, we do upload all of our episodes onto iTunes and Google Play. So you can listen to over 200 episodes recorded over the course of the past four years. Uh, many, if not most of the content uh, evergreen. So they're not market uh, dependent if you for instance want to talk about or you want to learn more about uh, sprinklers or if you want to learn about excavation or contracting uh, you can listen to one of our shows from two years ago three years ago lots of great stuff now we're talking today with our show partners denise webster mortgage broker and gurpreet randawa lawyer uh love having you guys on thanks again for joining us it's good to be here we were talking before the break about assignments and the risk. Uh, again, in the old days, it was easy. We just add, you know, a name to the contract to help with the financing or whatever. Now it's not that easy. And uh, Denise, just before the break, you were talking about the fact that, you know, um, as long as the seller understands, it's typically not a problem. It's true. You know, most of the time I'd say it's, it's not a big deal. As long as the agents have a conversation about why it needs to be done and, and all that stuff, usually the seller wants the deal to come together. Gurpreet did bring up uh, in her in her talk, though, the risk, though, is what if the seller's looking for a way to get out? Mm -hmm. This could be that moment, right? Maybe they have somebody else who's offering them more money for their place, right? There's a lot of things to consider, right, Gurpreet? Yes, exactly. Lots to consider. Um, great to get legal advice before you have that conversation. As you said, Tony, it's great for the realtors to have an initial discussion as well before anything's put in writing and confirming that there's no anticipatory breach. You know, this is what we're thinking. What are your thoughts? A seller just, you know, usually wants to confirm that the original buyer is still liable under the terms of the contract, that they're not being released. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Okay, so speaking of which, and, and again, uh, Denise, you, you're talking about adding someone uh, for the mortgage. Let's use that as an example. So they got to add a name uh, for the mortgage. Um, and you also said that the names on the title have to match the application on the mortgage, right? Correct. Okay, so Gurpreet, now this this brings up uh, the question of how is the title going to be set up uh, between these yeah. two people? 
Great question. Um, it, the first thing is to, to look at whether the person being added is a guarantor or a borrower. Usually if a parent's being added uh, to help a child get financing, it's usually as a co-borrower. Anytime you're a co-borrower, you have to be added to title as well. And there's two main ways to, to register title. One is joint tenancy, which comes with the right of survivorship. You usually see that with spouses who have equally contributed. Um, when one owner passes away, while they own the property, it's an automatic transfer to the surviving owner. No probate doesn't go in accordance with the deceased owner's will. That's joint tenancy. The other option is tenancy in common. That's where you can register in equal or unequal percentages. Um, and in the parents and children situation, in some cases, sometimes the children want to maximize their first time homebuyer exemption for property transfer tax. So you'll often see the 99 in favor of the child and 1% in favor of the parent. The thing to be aware of with that is that if one of those owners does pass away while they have an interest in the property, probate is triggered, deceased owner's interest goes in accordance with their will. So yeah, that's something to be aware of. Okay, so now Denise, switching back to you here, with these uh, 99 and 1%, you know, 99 to the uh, child and 1% to the parent, uh, how does this affect the mortgaging aspect? We have to give the lender the heads up because in most cases, if it's a, it's like Cabrit said, a, a spouse uh, or a couple buying it, it's almost, it's just by default, the approval will come out with joint tenancy. Mm -hmm. So if we've had that conversation um, and we do, you know, quite often I can actually see, um, you know, that one person of the couple is providing all the down payment and it was a large gift from their parents. So parents are kind of concerned, okay, well, what if this couple, my daughter and son-in-law break up, we've put all this money in. So the parents really want to have some security, even though they're not on the application, they're not on title, they've really provided a big chunk of the down payment. So that's a conversation I bring up as well. And just to say, you know, are you happy to go on 50-50 joint uh, tenancy, or are you wanting something different registration where if one of you is here, it will then default to your wills. That's a really important conversation. I don't know if a lot of brokers always have that conversation. They're trusting the lawyers having that, but we don't want to have a surprise right at the end where the, the commitment or the mortgage approval has gone to the lawyer and it says to the lawyer, you must register as joint tenancy. Now the lawyer says, well, we're at completion date and you actually want tenancy in common. We need approval from the lender. So it's really important for me to have that conversation with my clients so that there is no surprises at the end and we've set it up properly for the lawyer. For sure. Well, actually, and, and you just brought up another thing. Oh, it's all this great stuff you guys are bringing up. Um, this this whole notion of parents being concerned about uh, their kids and a partner, and you know what happens if there's a split up, you know, uh, and you know is is that money's at risk or or whatever. So, uh, Gurpreet, I guess I guess this brings up um, maybe conversations about co ownership agreements or something or 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 having agreements in place between the parent and the and the and the child, right? Yeah. So this issue does involve you know family law issues and the family law act potentially when it comes to the separation. And I can't comment on that piece because I don't practice family law. Mm -hmm. But generally, um, no. Now there is somebody in your firm that does, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. On a limited basis for, for yeah. clients that we have. Um, yes. And, and if we don't, then I could definitely refer you to somebody. Uh, anyway, um, so family law. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the co-ownership issue, um, 
if there are children and parents going on title, um, and let's say the parents have contributed towards the acquisition of the property, um, and they're on title as well, we do suggest a co-ownership agreement, which sets out the party's respective rights and responsibilities in respect of the property. So who contributed, how much, um, how are expenses gonna be divided? How do you decide on repairs and maintenance? If the property sold, how are the proceeds gonna be divided? So, so it is very important to consider a co-ownership agreement when you are co-owning property with others. Um, and if the parents are just on title for financing purposes, you know, then it's important for them to get some advice as well, because even though they're not contributing towards the acquisition, they don't have a true investment in the property, regardless of the percentage they're acquiring, they're fully responsible for the loan amounts. It's a joint and several, several excuse me, responsibility. So the lender can collect 100% of the loan um, as against any one of the borrowers. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's a tricky thing because what if the uh, child defaults on payments or yeah. their spouse or, you know, causes trouble that, that can have an impact on the parent, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's such an important conversation. It's very, very misunderstood. A lot of people, when they think they're co-signing, think they really don't have that much involvement. They're just kind of, you know, they don't recognize that they're going to be on title. They don't recognize that if the child defaults, they're paying it. Yeah, it's a very important conversation to have when you've got a co-signer coming on. And I, 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 Gurpreet, you said it, it's a borrower. I don't like even saying co-signer. You're a co-borrower. It's a better way for them to really grasp it. And, and we should get rid of that co-signer because that's what's kind of mystified at all thinking they're not really involved. They are a joint applicant. They're a co-borrower. They're, just the same as the first applicant. Wow. I've never thought about that before. It's true because people just, because the name itself, people just think, oh, all I got to do is sign my name. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Listen, guys, um, before we take our break here, if people need to reach you, Denise, best way for people to do that? Uh, call me direct. My cell is 250-889-4743 or email is denise at denisewebster.com. And Gurpreet? At phone 778-265-2677 or email and all of our email addresses are located on our website. Yeah, sitkalaw.ca, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course, both of your contact information is on our page on the CFAX 1070 website, uh, the whole home show. All of your information is there. Uh, and don't forget, listeners, if you're reaching out to either Gapreet or Denise, make sure you know, uh, make sure they know that you're a CFAX listener. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We need to take our last break for the day here. When we come back, we'll be chatting more with Denise about mortgages and Gurpreet about legal matters back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show. I'm Tony Joe. We're having a conversation today with our show partners, mortgage broker Denise Webster and lawyer Gurpreet Randawa. Uh, all about, we're talking about a whole bunch of stuff. And I, I got to say, I, I think we're going to need to schedule another visit because the three of us could talk for hours. There's so much good stuff here. Um, listen, before, just before we uh, took our break here, we were talking about co-ownership agreements and uh, co-signing, which Denise, you, you, what do you say now? It shouldn't be called co-signing. It should be co-applicant. Co yes. Yes. Capri said that as well too. Um, so many things to think about. You know, the message that I'm getting from both of you guys today, and, and I know this, but it's just a reminder to people, you should, you need to plan ahead. You need to have all the stuff figured out uh, to the point where when somebody lands in front of your desk, Capreet, you don't want to, it's too late to be fixing things, right? Yeah. We don't want any surprises when you're coming in to see me. 
Yeah, because there's a lot of complications. Like if it means a change with a borrower and, the, you know, we got to get in touch with Denise and Denise got to yeah. get in touch with the bank and is all that this can't be fixed in like five minutes, right? No. Well, and especially due to the volumes, like if for a really last minute change from your lender, that's a huge ask right now to pull them away from their queue. They've got so many files on their desk. And if we've got a last minute change, that's a big ask right now. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on, on everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and again, it's a reminder to get it done uh, early. And, you know, uh, Gafreed, I got to say, I, I, every time we tell people, uh, we have this conversation with people, we always say, you got to talk to your lawyer. You got to get this set up with Gafreed, even before we start looking at houses, because, you know, we don't, this is not something that, that uh, uh, you should decide later. Like, get it figured out now. Exactly. Yeah. Before you've entered into a contract, when you still have some bargaining power and can negotiate the terms of a co-ownership agreement, for example. Ah, that's a good point too, yeah. right? Because, yeah. uh, you know, the, the presumption or assumption is that both parties are on the same page, which they may not be, right? Exactly. When you get into those conversations about who's covering what expenses and what happens if there's a falling out yeah. um, and there's a disagreement, you might not be able to com complete complete the co-ownership agreement before closing. And it's best to do it beforehand when the parties are on good terms. Well, and that's, that's just a, I, I know this is, this is not a, a real estate related, but I mean, it's a reminder about the whole separation agreements and stuff and prenups, you know, people think, Oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And then, you know, when things happen, it's a different story. Right. Yeah. Well, and another point we're seeing um, friends buy properties together mm -hmm. now, which is uh, it's, it's a shift. We normally there's uh, you know, it doesn't, we don't have a drop down for that in our application. What's your relation with the primary applicant mm -hmm. friends? We don't have that as a drop down, but that's happening. Well, yeah. Okay. Thanks for bringing that up. Denise. So an example that we've had is we had two couples buy a house, you know, house with a suite, you know, very nice suite downstairs. So kind of equal and they, and they bought together. So this is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, it goes back to making sure that those two parties have a good agreement in place uh, with a lawyer like Capreet to make sure there's no misunderstanding, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, things that people sometimes don't think about is what happens if one of them gets into financial trouble? One of them needs to sell. Like, how does it work? And, you know, does it force the other party to pay them out or do they have to sell? Like there's so much stuff, right? Yeah, there's a lot to consider and it's great to have this agreement. So you're able to avoid court um, because because that that's the option you have if you don't have a written agreement and the parties aren't able to negotiate a solution. Yeah. Uh, speaking of court and just really quickly here, um, I have I have had the experience of some court foreclosure stuff recently. Actually, Gurpreet, he's a client of yours as well too. Um, I got to say under COVID and pandemic, the whole court system is like, I, I will try to stay away from that. Yeah. It's right? a completely different process. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. 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 Anyways, let's not go there. Cause that's a whole other conversation, but um, I want to shift gears a little bit guys and talk about something that's come up before. Uh, and uh, I was having this conversation with Denise. Uh, for example, a property uh, up in Shawnigan Lake, that has been used for short-term short -term vacation rental. And the agent, uh, uh, bless his heart, made it clear that the sale, the purchase of that property would be uh, GST, uh, GST would be applicable. Now this is this is something, Gurpreet, and I, we've talked about this before too. The presumption that people have is GST is only applicable to brand new construction, but that is not true, right? 
That's not true. Um, that's the most common um, trigger for GST is the sale of a newly built home. Um, but substantially renovated properties can also trigger GST. Certain types of vacant land can trigger GST. Commercial use of property can potentially trigger GST. Um, so it is very, very important to get advice on, on the GST status of a property um, before you enter into a contract or before you lift conditions. And, and I always suggest touching base with the accountant because there's so many considerations um, when it comes to whether or not GST is applicable. Remember, the seller is going to be signing a GST certificate at closing, confirming whether or not GST is applicable. So the contract needs to be clear as well as to who, you know, who's paying it. Is it included in the price? Or is it not included in the price? We don't want any surprises at completion. Well, in this particular case, I mean, it was a, it was a $1.7 million purchase and GST could be a substantial number, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's that. And the other one too that we have bumped into recently is uh, people who have bought condo pre-sales and then subsequently uh, turned around and resold without ever living in it. And again, uh, the GST, um, you know, the GST has been paid at the start. So the assumption was, well, if they've already paid the GST, then I'm not going to have to pay the GST if I'm buying it from them. And, that, yeah. and that's yeah, it's more complicated than that. That is actually um, the presumption that many have, but the property was never occupied. Um, so it technically is still the sale of a newly built home. Um, so very, very important to get advice from your accountant as to whether or not that triggers GST again. Yeah. And that's a, yeah, that's a, a uh, rude awakening, that 5% uh, at the top. Have you ever been at the table where somebody gets hit by this and, and it's not a good thing? Yeah, GST is one and also the foreign buyer tax is another one. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Those are instances where the client unfortunately didn't get the advice ahead of time for anybody who, from anybody who was involved in the transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we want to avoid. So that's why it's so important to do all this due diligence in advance, ask questions, talk to your lawyer, talk to your accountant um, to ensure that that you are aware of, of what you're going to have to come up with at closing. Yeah, it's so important. And especially for uh, real estate licensees as well, too, remembering that people come from different jurisdictions, especially, you know, you just brought up foreign buyer. That's a 20% tax on a million dollar house. That's a lot of money. In addition to regular property transfer tax. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, ones that I will never forget. I, I heard of cases of Albertans. You know, back then when Albertans were buying uh, expensive real estate in Victoria, Albertans going ahead and buying, not knowing about the property transfer tax and closing because they don't have transfer tax in Alberta, right? So, uh, yeah, these are these are things that uh, you never want to get uh, tied up with at the uh, at the table there. No, and remember the tax, the property transfer tax has to get paid at completion. You need to be able to come up with the funds then um, in order to complete. Yeah. Yep. Well, and can I touch on a couple of things there? Because it's yeah. also really important on the lender side. Um, so the GST is, um, you know, if it's not clearly stated in the contract that the purchase price includes GST, the lender could actually end up not including that in the mortgage. And that's because let's just say not obviously in this market, but what if that GST added to the purchase price actually pushes it over the market value? Mm -hmm. So the lender needs to know that if the GST is included, is it truly at market value or if does it have to be paid separately? So that's a very important clause in the contract for the lending purposes as well. The lender needs to see if it's included or not in the purchase price. Um, 
you know, one of the other surprises on that property transfer tax can be when we're refinancing a property. And if we refinance a rental property and we add a spouse for qualifying purposes, there's no exemption there. And that, that can be a very big surprise for them at closing. So it's something I've really tried to educate myself on to, so there is no surprises when we see somebody say, hey, we're thinking about pulling some equity out of our, our rental property, but I need to add my spouse to this. There's going to be property transfer well, tax. Well, hold on, and hold on. So this this brings up that whole nine nine one thing, though, right? Yes, it does. Because then yeah. they try to do this whole. Well, you know, I'll just we need her, but one percent, right? Um, yeah. But again, what does the lender need to know? Uh, the lender, the lender. Yes, I have to ask again if yeah. if they want uh, tenancy in common for sure. Yeah, and that is very common. And it just, you have to make sure you're not trying to do a loophole because the government will catch it. Yes. The property transfer tax. It, yeah, they, they are definitely aware of what you're trying to do to avoid the tax. It has to make sense. And uh, be aware of the implications on death if you are doing the 99 and one and do plan to hold the rental for a long, long time. Yeah, good point. Implications <laughs> on death. You see, people don't think about that, right? No. Right. Especially if they're young and, you know, that the day will come. Right. But um, yeah. And actually, again, you bring that up, Grafried. I've, I've had families and I've, I've dealt with the states where that was not determined. And uh, it's it's kind of sad because the um, the survivor did not have control of the property because the it wasn't set up uh, uh, correctly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And whenever we do estate planning, we ask that question. If you own property, how was title registered? If it's 99 and one or tenants in common, is, was that the intention? Was it done to maximize a property transfer tax exemption years ago? Do you want to change that? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a conversation we have uh, at that stage and when we're signing up closing documents. So they are aware. Well, and, and I want to bring this just up, up as an example. So uh, again, we I had a survivor. Uh, I was working for the trust company, you know, um, on the estate of the uh, deceased. And I felt it was strange that there was still a survivor. She was still around, um, but she did not have control of the property. And it was because of the way the, uh, I guess, his estate was uh, set up or something like that. It just seemed really strange. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that was intended. It just kind of happened. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've had instances where it wasn't intended um, where we will go and pull the title and they're actually surprised sometimes that, that they're registering tenants in common. Um, so that does come up on occasion. It can be just simply forgotten. It happened a long time ago and it was usually for a property transfer tax benefit. Yeah. 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 So it's a reminder. There are ramifications, right? I think that's kind of our, uh, that's the theme for the day today here is there's ramifications of all these choices, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, you really do need professionals. You need you need to have professional advice. It's not something you should try to navigate yourself as a home buyer. You just took the words right out of my mouth, and that's why you know what. That's why we have people like you guys, like Denise and Gurpreet, when it comes to mortgages and comes to legal uh, aspects. Uh, guys, again, uh, Gurpreet, if people need to reach you at the Sicka Law Group, uh, phone seven seven eight two six five two six seven seven, or by email, and all of our emails are located on our website, sickalaw.ca. And Denise? Uh, direct on my cell phone, 250-889-4743, or an email to denise at denisewebster.com. Yeah, and uh, remember, uh, everyone, identify yourself as a CFAX listener, uh, or, of course, you can always go to our page on the CFAX1070.com website, and you can find Gurpreet, uh, Denise, also Pierre and JP's contact information there if you need help with building inspections or with home insurance. Thank you guys for joining us today. It's so nice to have you back together again, you know, in our busy schedules. It's been interesting, huh? 
It has been. It's nice to see you both and to catch up. And thanks again for having us, Tony. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Great to see you both. You bet. Uh, and to our listeners, thanks for listening. We'll be here for you this time next week.